3: And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.
4: I'm a feminist, but last week, for the first time since I was a kid... There was a big dinner party, and I helped my mum clean up, right? And I'd never worn one since I was maybe ten. I put on an apron, and I thought,
0: this feels right. (laughs) I'm a feminist, but when I got this email from a man this week, Hi, I met Megan at Paradisus Resort in Cancun. And I didn't take her contact details. She told me she was a fan of the Guilty Feminist podcast. And I'd like to send her some music. Do you know how I can get in touch with her? My name is Alex and I'm from Brooklyn, New York and Russian. Thank you, Alexander. My first thought was, dude, if you couldn't close the deal in Cancun. With the waves lapping and the guitars playing and the margaritas flowing, you're never going to close it at all. And my second thought was, if she'd said she was a Game of Thrones fan, would you have written an email starting, Dear George R.R. R. Martin. I feel like, if anything, that's like, she was using her
4: fandom of the Guilty Feminist to be like, Bro, back off. I'm a feminist. But this week, I spent three hours on three different days researching YouTube videos and essays and, like, academic research online to find out whether or not wearing makeup would further me in my career? <laughs> turns out probably, but also turns out I don't give a shit.
0: <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I started thinking about Alexander <laughs> with his Russian accent, living in Brooklyn, <laughs> meeting Megan on the beach in Cancun. And about how maybe they had this magical rom-com connection. And maybe he accidentally spilled his margarita on her and she laughed and they ended up walking on the beach together for some miles talking in the moonlight about how how similar they were and at the same time how very, very different. (laughs) And how they both lived in Brooklyn and how amazing it was that they'd met each other in Cancun all this way away and how he had music that he wanted to share with her and that she wanted to hear it but that night he was too awkward to kiss her and she was like oh did I read that wrongly and then she went back to her hotel room and he went back to his hotel room and then she spent the next two days with her friend on the beach going I really wish I could see him again and she was looking for him the whole time and then eventually she remembered the name of his hotel and she went there and she just left a note for him at the front desk and then told him what flight she was catching hoping that he would run to the airport and, and, and stop it but then the front desk staff who was meant to give it to him said yeah I know Alexander he's room 104 and she was just about to take it up to him and then she got a phone call saying that she had to go home because her child was sick so she (laughs) ran home and then she realized that it was in the pocket of and the next day she came back to give it to him but he'd already gone and at that point he'd missed her at the and they'd both been at the airport at exactly the same time but he'd been out of gate six and she'd been out of gate five and they'd just gone and if he'd only just turned back or she'd turned back they would have seen each other and now they're living in Brooklyn together meant to be together but sadly they will never meet And that this email isn't creepy at all, but it's the most romantic thing that you or I have ever heard.
4: Uh, Who here has seen Mean Girls? Right. I'm a feminist, but when a woman wrongs me, I will print out your picture from Facebook and put it in my burn book. I'm not sorry, like I'm not even a bit sorry.
0: I hope if I was ever in the burn book I'm out of it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not reassuring, is it? It's not relaxing. I'm a feminist, but hey Megan, if you're out there, and you're listening and you were in Cancun at the Paradisus Resort and now you're in Brooklyn and you're listening this one comes to you from Alexander this is the music he wanted you to hear I wrote to him and asked for it I told him I'd play it on the show so if you want to get in touch with him email guiltyfeminist at gmail.com and I'll connect you. And if this is creepy, I'm sorry.
5: <laughs>
0: I'm a feminist. But. <laughs> Live from the London Podcast Festival, The spontaneous Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with Deborah Francis White. Kayali, and very special guests Sarah Bradman, Stephanie Martin, and Imogen Roberts, talking about being seen. Welcome to the London Podcast Festival. Yeah. Are you ready for the Guilty Feminist? Yeah. Then please welcome to the stage Maria Mercedes Linderskov. Yeah. Uh You're from the Faroe Islands but you now live in Denmark. Yeah. So she's come all the way from Denmark today to sing this song for you. Um, and I think it's a, really, it's a really beautiful feminist anthem. How old are you, Maria? 22. 22? Yes. Wow. I wish I was writing beautiful things like that when I was 22, but sadly I was in a cult. <laughs> so uh, Maria, where can we, can we buy this song?
6: Hopefully soon, but you can follow me on Facebook and stay tuned there. What do we? Uh, it's called Marbles Lost Music. Marbles Lost is my artist name. Marbles
0: <laughs> Lost. Yes. And can we get that on SoundCloud? That song. It is on SoundCloud. It's yes. on SoundCloud. So Marbles can... Lost Music also. Wonderful, wonderful. Work. Please do that. Big round of Mercedes Lyndon The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. So Bisha, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Have you had more of a guilty week or a feminist week?
4: I've been on a seesaw. (laughs) That's how I live my life. (laughs) Of feminism from one day to the next, where one day I'm like, I'm up, I'm the super queen of feminism and, you know, smash them. And the next day I'm brought low by man. So that's been my week.
0: <laughs> Audience, just shout guilty if you've had more of a guilty week and feminist if you've had more of a feminist week. One, two, three. Guilty! Oh, I heard yeah. more guilties, but right at the end I heard inist. <laughs> it was like a guiltiest. I feel like I've had, I feel like I'm a combination. You know when they say you've got combination skin? You're sort of dry, but then oily around the T zones. Yeah. Yeah. I am basically, if dry is guilty, and then I'm feminist around the T-zones. I was gonna say that I have very, very dry skin. Oh.
4: Just a sharing moment. And yep. therefore we should say, that, for my benefit, that being dry is feminist a bit, so that I could be full feminist face. But sure, whatever, whatever you say is good.
0: Yeah. No, no, I feel like we've nailed this together.
4: start clapping cheering and welcome to the stage your wonderful host deborah francis white
0: so one of the things i do apart from being a woman uh is be a screenwriter and i'm going to tell you a story now about being a screenwriter and how people think that screenwriters are men when you're in the industry, and they're like, oh, and you're a lady person as well. And you go, no, there's loads of us, you're just not interested in reading the script. So it's really interesting if you're in a position where you do break through, how sometimes they talk to you about women as if they're not in the room, They don't see you as a woman anymore. It's like you hand your woman card in at the door, and then it's like, well, this is industry card now. This is behind the scenes. And they honestly talk about women as if they're other. I'll give you an example. Once I was at the Cannes Film Festival. Has anyone been to Cannes? It's the weirdest place. It's the greatest metaphor for the film industry ever. Everybody's got a yacht, permanently docked, that goes nowhere. (laughs) That's where they hold the parties. They hire a yacht. They never intend to take it out. It does not do its job as a boat. It's just there so they can drink champagne and talk about themselves. It's the whole film industry in one go. And I honestly was talking to a man at the Cannes Film Festival who said, I mean, they brought me a Russian prostitute and she wasn't even as good looking as my wife. And I thought, what's the point? (laughs) True story. And I was like, you do understand that I'm a woman here, but my friend who I was with, she said to me, look around you, Deborah, on this yacht, we are not the beauties. She was like, this is like the French court where you have to bring something. We are the wits. (laughs) And I looked around, she said, look at anyone else here who's female and look, they're bringing something else. And it's true, it was full of men. And the women who they brought onto the boat said nothing. They were generally South American women, and they were, I mean, stunningly beautiful, like oil paintings from a previous age. Like, women, you just think, you gaspingly beautiful women. But they weren't really wearing clothes, they were wearing bits of silk (laughs) that draped across their bodies and never fell off, but (laughs) always looked like they were going to. (laughs) A lot of people think sexy clothes are revealing but they're not. Sexy clothes are unstable. (laughs) Anything you've already revealed they just look once and go okay I've seen the tits and they move on. But what the trick is to wear a bit of fabric that looks like it's going to fall off your tits but never does and then your tits are mesmerizing because at any point I might see a tit, I might see a tit, I might see it but they can't look away if your clothes look unstable. That's just a tip, that's nothing to do with this set, really. But I suppose it is. I suppose it's being seen in a way, isn't it? I suppose it's being seen, if you want to be permanently looked at by someone with an erection, then <laughs> to wear something unstable, do you know what I mean? Just like, might come off the shoulder and said, so this is the world. Now, the first time I ever went into this world, I sold a screenplay uh, with a couple of friends years ago and had to go over to L.A. at short notice and then were sent around to meetings where they told us, now pitch your other ideas and we didn't have any other ideas. We like, well, were like, we going on this one for two years and they said, we'll just come up with some other ideas. So we were sort of coming up with ideas in car parks and everywhere you went, they wanted something different. So we'd come up with this idea for this place, which we were told was the most art house production company in the whole of Hollywood. So we thought, oh, art house, you know, art house. They'll be fancy, they'll be clever, They'll be nuanced. But what I'd left out of that sentence was, in Hollywood. <laughs> the most arthouse place in Hollywood, as opposed to the most arthouse place in any other context. So in we went, and we pitched this thing that was actually... It's sort of more like a sitcom plot than anything. Two heterosexual couples agree to meet in a cottage in upstate New York for New Year's Eve. Now, the man of this couple and the woman from this couple who do not know each other and have never met arrive early then there's a big snowstorm so the woman from this couple and the man from this couple get snowed in at O'Hare airport and they have to share a hotel room now the ones in the hotel room had a fling in college but the others don't know the others are total strangers so basically it's meant to be a reunion between these two so now you know my husband really 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 well but I don't know you at all and I'm snowed into a log cabin with you basically that was the setup. So we pitched this to this young guy at this art house company, and he went, oh, I think my boss would really like this. I just think you girls are great, and would you be interested in coming in and pitching this to my boss? And we were like, sure. So in we went. And do you know the guy in the orange advert, Don't Let a Mobile Phone Ruin Your Movie, the big Hollywood producer? It was that guy. It was that actual guy. If smoking was allowed indoors in California, he would have had a cigar in both hands. (laughs) This guy, Simon, he takes us in and he says, uh, David, these girls, they've just uh, sold a script to a big studio and um, they've got a pitch I'd like you to hear. I'm sorry to interrupt your meeting. And the guy who's having a meeting with another guy, he looks up, David, and he goes, huh, sold a script? And we went, yeah, and he went, who's your agent? And we went, oh, we, we don't have an agent, we have a manager. He went, what? What do you got a manager for? You're writers, you don't need a manager? How much is this manager taking from you? We went, 15%? I don't know, 15%? 15%. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. You fire the manager, you get yourself an agent, you tell him to take 5%, then you tell him to go fuck himself. (laughs) This guy's your new agent. This is Abe from CAA. Abe is your new agent. He's the best in the business. He just kicked shit out of me on this table. We went five rounds on this table. He kicked shit out of me for his client. And then Abe goes, oh, but, but, but he kicked shit out of me too. We kicked shit out of each other an equal amount of shit. You know, like, oh, no, no. We said, they did everything but get their penises out on the table and measure them. So I just went, um, okay, um, Abe, apparently you're our new agent. I'd like you to take 5% and go fuck yourself. And Dave went, huh, so you're funny. how long's your pitch? And we went, five minutes, make it three. So at this point, I am actually looking around for a candid camera thinking, has our manager set us up with a friend? This cannot be really happening. And I know it sounds like I'm exaggerating. I am not. So we sat down and we started the pitch. So there's this couple and they end up in this, you know, upstate New York and they're snowed in and the other couple and blah, blah, blah. And he looked at us and he went, could it be on the beach in Brazil? There's beautiful weather down there. And we went, what? well, no, no, because that's the only thing we've got, is that they're snowed in to a log cabin. That is the full pitch, really. No. And he went, I got a lot of money down there in Brazil. There's beautiful weather down there in Brazil. You tell me a love story set on the beach in Brazil. I won't just develop that movie. I'll make that movie. And we went, so this couple are on this beach in Brazil and there's beautiful weather there, and it's like they're on honeymoon together. The other couple are snowed in in O'Hare and can't get there, but we don't see much of them, so it's fine. Uh, they're, you know, they're having this incredibly romantic time, and they're, they're, they're there, but their partners aren't there, they don't really know each other. And, uh, and he went, what are they talking about? And we went, um, flotation and the, and the nature of monogamy. And he went, monogamy? I can't sell monogamy. Sex is what I can sell. You tell me a sexual awakening story set on the beach of Brazil. I won't just develop that movie, I'll make that movie. And I want it to be beautiful, like magical realism. You know, I've wanted it, but I didn't know any women writers. And if you ask men to write this shit, do you know what they write? Porn. <laughs> That's why you can't have men write it, porn. And I don't want it to be porn. I want it to be magical realism, like Chocolat with Judy Dench. <laughs> I want it to be like that can you write that we went yeah we we we, 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 we can can write that We 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 can write that and he went I want there to be a lot of women in it I mean a lot this sexual awakening is not just a one woman deal I want there to be a lot of women in it and there's beautiful women down there in Brazil and he looked at the other guys and went right and they went right And then he went, but they're not as beautiful as Colombian women. The Colombian women are the most beautiful women in the world. And the guys just start endorsing that and going, yeah, 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 that's true. That is true. There they are. They're the most beautiful women in the world. And then he looked at us and he went, don't worry. We'll ship them up. No one will know the difference. (laughs) I am a feminist, but I said, okay. It was 11 years ago, okay? Can you please stop judging me? (laughs) But here's the thing, he was talking to us like we weren't women, like he was talking to us like because we were writers, we were boys somehow, and this is clearly how some men talk about women when they are in rooms together and women are not present. And it was just like we weren't there. So we went away and we came up with this story. Now, all you need to know about this story, it's about a man who's about to go on honeymoon with his wife to this beautiful beach in Brazil. She goes out in the car to get something and she has a terrible accident and uh, she's paralyzed and they end up never being able to go on the honeymoon and he nurses her for 10 years. They can't have a sexual relationship. He's totally devoted to her. They have this incredible romantic relationship and after 10 years, she dies. And her last wish is for him to take the urn of ashes, and sprinkle them where they would have had this honeymoon. So he arrives on this beach, wanting to scatter the ashes, but also, of course, not wanting to, and just books in for this honeymoon that he should have had on his own. Now, all the men in this fishing village have just gone out fishing, leaving only the women (laughs) there. And he looks a lot like Daniel Craig because he's played by Daniel Craig. (laughs) And the women realize that he is like their local Saint Sebastian who ran a hospice and looked after a lot of dying women. And they also realize what his story is, and they realize that he hasn't had this sexual relationship he should have had for 10 years. So these women of various ages decide, based on the... (laughs) magical and unknown ringing of the bell on the Saint Sebastian clock tower, just rings whenever it likes, no one ever knows when it's going to happen that they are going to date him and help him have this sexual awakening that he should have had throughout his marriage. (laughs) It's their idea! Uh, What, are you going to slut shave them? They want to do this! So we pitch this on the phone, because we're back here, and David listens and he goes, you guys did a great job, you did a great job. And then he said, two things though. One, no woman in this movie can be under 21. We said, why not? He said, because you don't want to watch your daughter fucking. It's disgusting. <laughs> what? And no woman can be over 29. <laughs> we went, why not? And he said, because you don't want to watch a woman over 30 fucking. It's disgusting. <laughs> this is the most art house production company in the whole of Hollywood. And it was at that point... We said, I don't think we want to do this. And we put the phone down in the good feminist version of this story. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Our theme this week is being seen. To How seen do you feel, Bisha?
4: Right now, very. (laughs) Because it's, you
0: know... Just in general in life.
4: I feel seen, but I think it's a double-edged sword. Sometimes you don't want to be seen, or you want to be seen in a certain way, and being seen isn't enough. Being seen for just what you look like
0: isn't enough. It's being seen as a person is Mm. what I really want. And the farther you are from being a white, straight man, the less you're seen as a person and the more you're seen as your uh, most cosmetic identifiers... That you mostly didn't get to pick. And then not only do you not get to pick the markers that you're born
4: with, because you're other, you don't get to pick all the stereotypes attached to them. Right. So you don't even get to pick the narrative. And that, I think, is a double-edged sword of being seen.
0: And when you conform to the stereotypes, you feel a bit guilty, because you think, oh, I'm leaning in. But stereotypes are sometimes stereotypes for a reason. So sometimes I'm a stereotypical woman, in inverted commas, Mm. uh, because what people have done is they've spotted a trend amongst female people And they've then projected that onto every single woman they meet. So if they hit one that is correct in my case, like being emotional, being into fashion, I then go, yeah, I'm a bit like that and I feel bad for it. Right. But then if you flip that onto me, like I'm not into fashion. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying you probably feel, well, I'm not conforming to that stereotype and I'm not endorsing it. So I'm not being seen. Oh, that's interesting. See what I'm saying? This is my umbrella.
4: This, is not, this analogy is going nowhere. This is my umbrella. And this is what I think women can stand on this umbrella. And then I'll see them as women. Mm. But then I'm outside like, oh, I don't like fashion. I like T-shirts.
5: <laughs>
0: uh, t-shirts can be fashion. Yeah, I just realized
4: that. And I was like, oh, I'm shooting myself in the foot with this yep. analogy.
0: It's going nowhere. No, like, me. It, right. like some T-shirts are very fashionable, like sort of vintage T-shirts have become, you know... And I understand, Bisha, that when you say T-shirts, you don't mean distressed vintage ones, do you? No, I mean... You mean I mean clothes relaxed. that
4: cover my flesh. Yeah, 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 that's, mean, it. that's it. That's you it. mean
0: relaxed contemporary T-shirts. Yeah. yeah. I mean the thing that's in the
4: cupboard that's not just rancid <laughs> that you can wear. What I'm saying is I'm not into fashion, but the point is... When you conform to whatever that stereotype is, you
0: don't conform to all of them either. There's more to you than that stereotype. Of course, I'm multi-dimensional, Bisha. But what I'm saying is... If I conform to a stereotype, which means that I am seen as a woman, for example, I dress up. So last night, I hosted the British Screenwriters Awards, which was exciting. Um, uh, I didn't... Like, I'm also a screenwriter, it's just no big deal, but I just
4: wasn't... I wasn't there. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> like, it's, it's fine. I mean, she was hosting or whatever, it's fine, but I'm just saying I wasn't... Yeah, I wasn't there.
0: Please continue with the very important point you were making yeah no 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 i do see now looking back that it would have been polite to invite you i didn't i wouldn't have been rare to have been seen (laughs) the red carpet though it wasn't a long red carpet it was a square of red carpet you know if you went into a carpet shop and you asked for a sample (laughs) so that you could try it in your front room it was like that but of course, it looks like in the photos, there was a long red carpet. So you basically had to go and stand on the red square of carpet with the lights on yeah. and then try and stand next to someone famous. And then they would take your picture. Basically, we used it for a lot of pictures on our own phones and then yeah. put them on Instagram. Instagram makes almost everything look glamorous though, right? Yeah. You could be at home with your cat in one of your T-shirts with the right lighting and angles. Everyone could want to be where you are. I do
4: do a good selfie. It's a good point. Yeah. yeah.
0: But that's a really interesting way that now we get seen and we orchestrate how we're seen and what was interesting is there was a photo of me on my own on this red carpet and on facebook it got like 3 likes and on really? instagram it got hundreds and i was like why did instagram like this and facebook didn't like it and i did get into my head about it i did i went that's weird that's weird why are instagram so into this picture but facebook made my facebook friends went Don't put a picture of yourself posing on a red carpet, you wanker. (laughs) That's what Instagram's for. I've liked it over there. I'll be asked if I'm liking it over here. (laughs) I think that's what happened. But it's true that the men there, a lot of the men weren't dressed up at all. Yeah, I saw one photo. Mm.
4: Because not that I was, like, stalking the whole album or whatever. (laughs) I went deep in the photos. And Deborah was dressed very glamorously. And there was another woman dressed very glamorously. And there was a gentleman (coughs) dressed how I'm dressed today. And I thought could I get away with that and feel comfortable yeah. so in that setting? Well, he, you were he in runs a, like, the
0: event, and so he was just there, sort of like, look, this is my working pose. At the last minute, he put on a purple velvet blazer yeah. over the top of a hoodie
4: yeah.
0: um, and just went, fuck it, listen, I've made this come together, and he did it. But it is true that a woman who did that would be commented on. So there was a, a thing a few years ago where Stephen Fry was hosting and the woman who'd won for costume design... Basically, oh, came dressed, yeah. you know, in a hoodie, yeah. and he said something like, "Only she would turn up like a bag lady," and it caused a lot of problems on Twitter for him. It was he left Twitter for good, by which I mean for six hours. <laughs> Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah Francis White from the Guilty Feminist. Briefly interrupting your podcast to say a huge thank you to everybody who donated to the Dahlia Project this week. Over 137,000 women and girls in England and Wales have undergone female genital mutilation. Leila Hussein has been a wonderful guest on the podcast four times. Herself is a victim of FGM and she is running the Dahlia Project, which is the only counselling service in Europe for victims of FGM. It not only helps those women through the psychological and physical effects of FGM, but it also helps break the cycle of abuse in families and communities. I am just crying to say that this week... Uh, we have raised so much money the total is now 36756 pounds and 89 pence with gift aid that takes it up to 43000 pounds now the dahlia project needs 50000 pounds to keep going so if you haven't donated and you would like to, we would so appreciate it. Thank you so much to everyone who did. For anyone who hasn't and would like to, £180, which I know is so much for some people, but if you can afford it and you want to know where your money's going, £180 pays for one woman to attend a 12-week group session. And that's a full course of counselling. £50 pays for childcare for one woman to attend counselling. I know that many people don't have anything like that to give. If you get a new Jane Austen, £10 note, that would be a wonderful gift for the Dahlia Foundation. It's what Jane would have wanted. But in any currency, wherever you are in the world, any amount would be so much appreciated. Just go to guiltyfeminist.com forward slash Dahlia Project. Dahlia is spelt D-A-H-L-I-A, Dahlia Project. Thank you so much. Layla has just been beside herself. She said that she's never, ever before had an army of people with her. She's always been really out there on her own with a small group and she just feels so supported. So thank you very much. The final way you can help The Dahlia Project is by downloading our Guilty Feminist Negotiation Special. This is a brilliant episode in which Athena Koblenu, the wonderful comedian, I interview Suzanne Williams, who is a professional hostage negotiator. This is the only ever Guilty Feminist episode that you can buy. It costs £5, and for the month of October, we will donate all of the proceeds to the Dahlia project. So go to guiltyfeminist.com and download the negotiation special. I am coming to Australia and New Zealand. There are still tickets for the 15th of October Guilty Feminist event at the Festival of Questions at the Wheeler Centre. It's like a normal Guilty Feminist episode with a few more whistles and bells. And the title is The Handmaid's Tale in 2017 – What the hell? Go to wheelercentre.com and buy tickets for the 15th of October. It's only $20. If you're in Auckland or anywhere in New Zealand and you fancy coming to Auckland, we will be at the Town Hall and there are still tickets for the 29th of October. I look forward to seeing as many of you as possible at a live event soon.
1: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card.
0: Put your hands together and make general who ignores noises for Kale!
4: Hello friends, um, we're talking about being seen, and as I was saying to Deborah that being seen I think is a double-edged sword, right? It's kind of like on a Sunday afternoon when you've had like a night out, or even just you would stay up late watching Netflix, you know there's cake in the fridge, but also you're in a really warm duvet and you're in bed, and you're like, the opportunity cost of leaving this bed (laughs) (laughs) to get the cake and then return to the bed is coldness. It's a vast coldness. A tundra, if you will. If I leave this warm space to get the thing I want, the cake is being seen, whatever, go with it. There's a solution, is that you take your blanket with you, right? You turn your, you turn your duvet into a gown. <laughs> what I like about this is it feels like you've all done that.
5: <laughs> and that
4: you are my people. It's a double-edged sword, so you get the cake, you come back to bed, then you're eating cake in bed, and then you've got crumbs on your bed, and like, some people aren't fine with that, I'm fine with it, because, you know, whatever, it's hygiene. <laughs> we have mouths for a reason. It's a double-edged sword. Look, for me, when I talk about being seen, I don't just talk about being seen as a person in the world, right? Because being seen as a person in the world, I'm perceived by whatever like, years and years of training has gone into your head, whether it's rom-coms or whatever the media representation is. And I want to be seen in those spaces. I want to be seen on television. I don't mean me, Bisha. I mean people who look like me. So then those stories that you have in your head are different. And I want those pictures of me to be more than what they are now. So I want representation, but I don't want representation the way we have it now. I don't want my brothers to be seen as terrorists. I don't want my sisters to be seen as victims. But I also want us to be up there. It's important, because that's all you think when you see these people. And uh, I was thinking about, for me, what my first version of being seen, seeing someone like me on the television, was when I was growing up and I watched the movie Bend It Like Beckham. Any fans in? It's a great movie. And it kind of made me realise that, hey, maybe a career in the arts is something that I'm allowed to do. Um, So in Bend It Like Beckham, there's a young Asian girl from Hounslow, I myself, am a Hounslow girl, so I was very excited. And her parents wanted her to study or to find a man or some combination of them, Um, but she's like, I want to play football, right? I was like, wow, huge dream. And she played for the Hounslow Harriers. Hounslow Harriers used to play in the park across the street from my house. So I used to practice at Lambton Park often. And a lot of the film was shot around Lambton Park and around Hounslow East where my cousin lived. And it was all just really exciting. Like, look, that's part of us, that's part of our life. It's in a movie and it's big. Keira fucking Knightley was in that movie, you know? I mean, the other one went on to be a doctor in ER. Thank you for breaking stereotype. But (laughs) was exciting. Someone could do something that wasn't a stereotype. I could be seen. I can be seen in a space that's not made for me. That's not supposed to be mine, right? So at first, I was like, I'll try football. (laughs) And then I realized, um, like, I can't walk in lines good. (laughs) And physical exercise sucks. Like, it straight up sucks. Um, I mean, if you like it, good, good for you. But For me, you remember the bit about the cake and the duvet, right? Yeah, yeah that's, that's my safe space. I wanted to be seen, and then as I got older, there was a, another show that came on television. It's called Goodness Gracious Me. Yeah, anybody remember that show? And again, it was like Asians on television being funny. And funny not just for other Asian people, but for white people too. Everyone was joining in on that. Whatever you think of that show, it did something that no other show in the UK has done before or has done since, in my opinion, right? It was was paramount for me. And my family used to sit around. I had nothing to connect to my parents with, right? They were a different generation, they were a different culture entirely. And we'd argue constantly about what my life should look like. But we could sit around and we could watch Goodness Gracious Me and be like, yeah, we all struggle with the same shit. And it's funny. So I became a stand-up comedian to really fulfill their
5: dreams.
4: (laughs) We all want to be seen. We all want to be seen. But at the same time, I don't. I don't want to be seen. Sometimes when I wake up and think about leaving the house, I wake up and think about going to do a gig, I think, I'm going to be the only Asian person on this bill. And I can't be fucked. I'm tired, man. I'm just tired. I'm constantly tired of being the only Asian woman on the bill. Some people are like, well, that's more competition for you if they're more Asian women. No! The more Asian women are doing this, the more mediocre and coasting we get to do. (laughs) Just fill it up. Just please, more Asian women, come and do stand-up so I don't have to try so fucking hard. Please. I'm begging you. That's the thing. Sometimes you just can't be bothered. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be in a public space. I don't want to have to go up and be the Asian person and tell my experience and tell people, hey, this sucks and this is hard. Do something about it. Because they're not hearing do something about it. They're exotifying me and I'm an interesting tale for them to tell. And it's tiring, man. I don't want to be seen that way. But at the same time, like, I love telling jokes. I love telling stories. For me, storytelling is the thing, right? And being seen, for me, in storytelling is when you get to be more than just one facet of that multidimensional person we were talking about earlier. You get to be a whole person because you get to, to tell a narrative and you get to say, I'm on this journey and you can relate to this journey because of X. There's something in your life that's happened to you that connects to me and has nothing to do with my skin colour, has nothing to do with my gender, has something to do with our humanity. So I want to be seen, But on my terms and my terms only. That's what I wanted to say. Thank you.
0: Day are variously responsible for the new play Joy, about family, friendship, control, and freedom, performed by a company of seven featuring three actors with learning disabilities. To talk about all that and more, please welcome producer Sarah Bradnam, writer Stephanie Martin, and actor Imogen Roberts. Woo! Hello, so can you just all introduce yourselves? So I'm
4: Stephanie
7: Martin. I wrote Joy.
2: I'm Imogen Roberts, and I'm playing Joy. And I'm Sarah Bradnam, and I'm producing the show. Who would like to tell us what the show is about?
7: Joy is a play about finding a voice. It's a play about what, what, what do we say on the tube, Imi? We said it's a play about taking a stand. It's a play about writing new stories. Because we got together as a group and we realised that the same stories were being told over and over again. Mm. And you don't see people sometimes in films and in TV, in theatre. So we thought, let's write a new story. And the story we, we're writing is called and performing is called Joy. And it's become sort of inspired by Immy, who's who's playing our leading actress. So it's sort of interweaving real life and our imagined life, isn't it? It's
0: set in Victorian times and also now?
7: Yes. So we've got two stories. We've got a story in 2017 and a story 1870, which was a year when learning disabilities were treated by a, a sort of revolutionary doctor who decided to really change the way that people viewed... Um, the treatment of people with learning disabilities and how that could be a bit more humane and actually is still really not happening today, a lot of what he said. So we're examining that as well as what's happening right now in 2017.
0: Imi, bringing in this play, does that make you feel more seen?
5: Uh, uh, yeah.
0: Do you often not feel seen in real life?
4: Well, it's kind of collided with my world quite a lot, apparently. I think, uh, for me... From my reality and and Joy's reality, it's it's kind of like
7: something sort of in common with.
0: And you're the writer, Steph. Did you base
7: Joy on Imi? Well, when Imi and I met, there was lots of coincidences, weren't there, when we started speaking about the story and the character. And what did we say every time we talked about it? You went, that's me, didn't you? Yeah. So it's sort of become a really lovely collaboration between... The imagined character and a lot about Emmy and what's you know what's happening in your life, what's important to you, the sort of life that you want, yeah, and what's important for you as a person. So they're sort of joy and Imogen in my mind are sort of one and the same, aren't they? Actually, yeah. <laughs> which is really special.
0: And Sarah, it's a love story.
2: Yes, it is. We wanted to make sure that we were representing people with learning disabilities in the light of romance and sex and things that you wouldn't necessarily always think of or always see. Because I think there is a tendency to other people who we see as different from us in whatever way that is. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to centre a narrative on people who have learning disabilities, but also just be like, but everyone, if they are a sexual person, they have sex and it's to do with relationships and the controlling desire of a parent mm-hmm. and not trusting maybe a system where people do sometimes take advantage of other people and how love can overcome that but also just a fight for your own independence. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm. And have you found that a lot of the audience have been responding to that and saying oh, I feel seen, thank you for doing this. And You feel that there's a connection to what, it's an individual story that Imi, you put together and kind of worked on together and tells a lot of, about you personally. Yeah. And I wonder if people are coming up to you and saying, thank you for doing this because I can see mm-hmm. something of myself and it just like you saw something of yourself in the story too.
7: I think it's an important story for us to tell because I think making it together has made us realise how we're kept very separate from each other. And if you don't meet certain types of people, you make assumptions about their life. So it's about... I think the more we make this story, we realise that we are all the same, or we're all completely different. That we all have the same experiences. We all want to do the same things. We all want to get out there and work and have fun and fall in love and have sex and you know get married. Joy does everything, and I think the more we make it, the more we realise that actually we're kept separately so much in our society, and everybody's the same. Well, I like to call it kind of, she's more really spiritual and she's very, very unique. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Being unique, yeah.
5: Yeah. And yeah.
0: <laughs> um, now, this show's still in development yes. and you need Kickstarter money at the moment, we don't you? We would
7: like some money, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because where's it going to be on eventually when it's all fancy? Well, we're performing it quite soon. We've got a run in the studio space at Theatre Royal Stratford East. Which is brilliant, if anybody knows it as a theatre. They do loads about new stories and diversity and representation. So we're really excited, and we're performing. We're starting rehearsals in a uh, couple of weeks. The 2nd of October. She's, Very ready. Good. She's ready to go. <laughs> um, so it's really soon, so yeah, we would like some money,
2: please. We're opening on the 24th <laughs> of October, and we're running until the 4th of November. It's not a particularly long run, but at the moment we've got a Kickstarter campaign, which you will be able to find if you go on Kickstarter and you search for Joy by. Stephanie Martin. I think there are other projects called Joy as well. But we've only got until the Don't give to those. No, don't (laughs) give to anyone else. Don't
0: accidentally give your money to another Joy, which I'm sure is great, but isn't the right Joy. But it's not this Joy. I mean, anything called Joy and Kickstarter is probably nice. But (laughs) but
2: give to them as well, but definitely give to this one. Definitely give to us. We've got until the 9th of October to reach our target. And a lot of this is because we have gone down the traditional avenues of trying to get funding. So, you know, applying to various funding bodies... Across the board, four months, and no one's interested. And we hope that it's because we're a very, very new company and maybe they want us to prove ourselves before they're willing to give us any financial support.
0: You hope it's not because you're women and you have three people in the cast with learning disabilities.
2: Yes. But we we don't know. But at the same time, it means that we are dependent now on our own money and hopefully the very generous giving of other people. So if everyone in this room gave just, you know, maybe five pounds, maybe ten pounds, that would help us so, so much and to share our projects and the work that we're doing because we, Clamor Theatre Company, which is who we are, we're not... A sort of a disability-centred theatre company, at all, but we are about bringing voices from the margins and sharing voices that wouldn't normally and perspectives that wouldn't normally get dealt with. So we're really kind of at the beginning of this journey. But Steph and I met years ago, and we're just like we want to work together because we enjoy working with each other. And it's a female-led company, and we want to do great things, but we can't do it with the very limited funds we currently have. So all help is appreciated. But I think if you do this
0: production, and it's a big hit, then it will be much easier. So we just yes. need to bankroll you for the first one, and then you sort it, <laughs> and then will be away. And I'm sure that Imi yes. will have this big starring role, and then basically what I'm saying to you, Imi, is it's all on you once yeah. it starts... Yeah get out there, shine like a star and then everyone will go, Oh wow, this is amazing and just throw money at you and television roles and well, fame and
4: that, like Roses have been throwing at me. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> okay. She's we can ready. do that. So if <laughs> we all go to opening night, bring a rose to throw at Emmy. I mean, warn her because it might feel like she's under attack. And No uh, we go. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, if you are a female-led theatre company that is taking people from the margins and putting them into the centre space. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's a really hard sell at first because I think people are going, well, will lots of people want to see this? Mm-hmm. Um, and will lots of people want to look? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing is actually it's really easy to look away from things we're not used yeah. to looking at, yeah, yeah. all of us, like let's just be absolutely honest about it mm-hmm. we think, oh god but I don't know how to talk to that person, what if I say the wrong thing why don't I just avoid talking to that person and I think we all know that, so the more that we can make plays like this and companies like Clammer and actresses like Amy on the centre stage, the more that will be normal and then we won't exactly. feel like that. And I think there's also an element, I don't know how you all feel about it so I think it's a
4: cultural thing, but we live in a I'm going to get political. We live in a capitalist society. That's the world we live in right now, right? And I think that we feel very uncomfortable about thinking of giving money in a certain place as being like a feminist act. But in cases like this, it absolutely is. By doing that, you're voting with your money. You're saying, here is money to put you in a centre stage because money is a barrier that holds us all back from different things and being centre stage in the world we live in. So if you need to, like... Think of it as a feminist challenge Mm -hmm. to pay £10 to this organisation so they can put a marginalised voice on stage in the middle of everybody else. Because that is an act of feminism. That is an act of supporting the people who need it. Um, So I just wanted to make that case. Mm
2: -hmm. Here, here.
0: Let's do questions for the audience. Has anyone got (laughs) a question
4: in the audience? Um, I'm Fiona. Um, I was just one thing about being seen and Deborah, when you were saying earlier about Facebook and Instagram I find Instagram, even I've got it and I still like going on it, I find it hugely demoralising and obviously what we all do is compare the highlight reels of everyone else's life with our life back at home and I was wondering if you had any advice or like, ideas on how to be seen and see others and appreciate others but not necessarily become demoralised at the same time because mm. I struggle with that
0: you no, know, I just think I never post pictures of myself watching Say Yes to the Dress in my bathrobe. <laughs> I just don't. I've never once gone. Mm. But I did put quite a lot of pictures of me hosting an award ceremony up last night. So <laughs> when you look at those, I think what you need to do is go. And then she went home and spent three days in her bathrobe, eating toast off her chest as she lay.
7: <laughs> like I can't even bother to sit up to eat toast. I mean, I think that's why I'm going that I mean, I I don't know. I think from working with Imi and people that Imi is in groups with, one thing I find really interesting is that it's about making your own rules and making your own club. And I think somebody like Imi is very good at, like... Because she's not been allowed in the club, because society's horrible, she's almost, like, made her own rules. And I think that's really inspiring. When I see the way that you bop about town... You just do your own thing. You, she almost can't be bothered to compare herself to anyone else because she's too busy focusing on being her best self. So I don't know if that... Do you bop around town, Amy? Yeah. You're a bopper? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: this
4: is the first time I've been speechless.
0: <laughs> she's been accused of bopping and she's not denied it, so I'm going to say she's bopped around town. Uh how do you not compare yourself to other people, Pisha? I think there's an element of,
4: because I do it all the time, but there's also those clubs that I'm never going to be allowed into. And I mean that metaphorically and like literally, <laughs> there are comedy clubs I will never be allowed into. I think it's a matter of, and this is how I frame it, of where I get my validation from and what kinds of validation. Because if I'm getting my validation from how I appear on social media, then in some ways I'm like, hmm, some days I'm like, I'm nailing this. And other days, I think, oh, my goodness, everybody in my life is smashing their careers. They have, like, amazing love lives. Like, how is your husband that shut up? I don't understand. (laughs) That's not a real thing. Your husband's not real. It's the fiction of your imagination. But (laughs) the point is, is I think it's bringing it back down to, okay, is this actually where I'm getting my validation from? If I put down my phone for this day, I switch off my phone for a day. I have been without Wi-Fi and data for the past week. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) You put it away, and you think, okay, so where's my validation coming from? where am I getting the social approval that used to be when you go out with your mates? That's where we would have all the kind of game-playing of who's doing better or who's enjoying their life more. But now it's in your pocket constantly. Like, it's an impossible ask. So I think one thing, maybe going on, like, a phone, like, put it, like, lock it in the
0: bottom of the sea, or... (laughs) I took Twitter and Facebook off my phone, but what I found is I just kept logging back in, and then it was taking so long... I was longer on them, Mm -hmm. because you have to do it all manually. (laughs) So last night, I just put them back on. I just... I'm embarrassed to say. But I suppose my answer to that question would be this. When I was young, my mother made me feel really seen. So I have a memory of being with my mother and her saying something like, my little girl. I felt totally owned by her, which was really important because I'm an adopted child. But then when I went to school, I realised I wasn't always going to be seen, that the popular girls generally had blonde hair and I didn't have blonde hair, or the popular girls did this and I didn't do that. And then when I became a Jehovah's Witness in my teenage years, my sexual awakening kept sort of hitting the snooze button. And I felt so invisible. When I first started working, I honestly felt so invisible, genuinely. I could sort of eat a cream cake on a bus or put makeup on on the bus and not feel self-conscious at all. Because I swear to you, I felt invisible. I talked about it to my friends at the time. I was like, I have this thing where I think I'm invisible. And sometimes I'm very surprised if someone talks to me in public because I think... How can you see me? It was like, honestly, like I was a fictitious character. And it was to do with not having a sexual awakening. No boy ever kissed me. No boy ever looked at me or girl. Like, I was just so unseen. And I used to do things slightly like I'd dance in a public place just to check people could see me. My other Jehovah's Witness friends hated it because they were really cool. (laughs) Cool is a relative measure. (laughs) And you must always remember that, especially when you're on Instagram. So... When I left the Jehovah's Witnesses, I started doing improv, which is something that I'd done secretly when I was a Jehovah's Witness. But when I first started doing it, I felt bonsai, I felt behind, I felt years behind, like everyone else was better than me. And when I was on stage, when I first started doing comedy improv, I would ball my hands up like this, like in a fist, because I was so stressed, and I was so bad at it, because I wanted to be good at it. And I knew I had a sort of natural talent for it, but I couldn't access it. And I hated being seen, because I'd go out to the stage and i think I was awful, and I would hate being seen. And so I went from being invisible to making myself central and hating it. And it took a long time. And do you know how I did it? I kept showing up. I kept putting myself on stage. I kept letting people look at me until it was normal. And now on stage for me is the same as off stage. It doesn't feel any different unless there's like, I don't know, a television person in or something. But even now I just sort of think, fuck you, I've got a good podcast. I don't care. <laughs> you can't make me or break me. It the- doesn't count for me, sorry, just I need career, please. No, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't, but I just sort of think like like me or don't like me. I'm just happy being seen now, and that's because I've practiced it. And so why I want Imi and the other people in her cast to have lots of goes at being seen. That's how you start to enjoy being seen. And honestly, that is the task of feminism. We have to like being seen. We have to love it. We have to get central. We have to say, yeah, I'll be on that panel. Yeah, have you seen my mate? She'd also like to be seen. We have to start making ourselves central. And the only way you can do it, if you don't like it, or you feel invisible, or you hate being looked at, just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it until it becomes normal, until you love being looked at. Because I think people look at me and they go, "Oh yeah, but it's all right for you. You're confident. You've got a part. Oh yeah, but yeah, but you're a standard. Oh, but you're, you've you've got this ability or you're talented or whatever." No, 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 no. I just kept showing up. I love it now. I'm good at it now. I got good at it by showing up. Keep making yourself central. <laughs> we go for the kickstarter
2: for joy okay so it's very much present on the clamor twitter page so that's at clamor underscore theater it's also on mine i'm at sarah bradham but also if you go on to kickstarter and you search for joy by stephanie martin you will find it Bisha, sure, have
4: you got anything to plug yeah i do oh my goodness sorry i'm so excited because i rarely do i am doing a comedy show once a month last thursday of the month at the camden comedy club which is just over there it's called Bisha K. Ali Presents Comedians She Loves because I like a just tight concise title <laughs> uh, tickets for that are just super cheap and yes you should all come to that the first one is uh, September 28th you can get the tickets I'm going to have a pinned tweet as soon as I leave this I'm going to do that where you can buy the tickets from and um, so you're at Bisha K. Ali at Bisha K. Alley. yes okay, great. that is the thing I want to plug thank you very much to keep track of everything we're up to you can follow Guilt Fem Pod on Twitter or the Guilty Feminist on Instagram There's also a Facebook page you can like and a mailing list you can sign up to. And if you like what you hear, please go to what we're
0: now supposed to call Apple Podcasts and rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people to discover us. Awesome. And could you please listen to Global Pillage at globalpillage.net, my diversity-based comedy panel show. Uh, Who's charity of the week? Yes, could you please say your charity? Uh, We're Ashiana. We're a black minority, ethnic and refugee women's charity. And we work with women fleeing
5: domestic violence, human trafficking, forced marriage, honour-based violence. And we're
2: particularly raising money at the moment. We've got refuge spaces for women with no recourse to public funds. So women fleeing violence that aren't entitled to traditional refuge support because they're not entitled
0: to benefits because they're subject to immigration control. So we have two beds in our refuge in South Yorkshire and any money anyone can give will pay for that. Wonderful.
5: Amazing. (laughs) So there will be...
0: So there will be people standing at the doors. So could you please put money in? And if you are at home, asianasheffield.org.
6: That I justice dis- me to be free. I know I'm saving all my loving for someone who's loving me. Go on now. Walk out the door. Uh, uh...
0: With me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-hosts Misha Bailey, and our very special guests Sarah Bradnam, Stephanie Martin, and Imogen Roberts. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. Music was by Mark Hodge and Maria Mercedes Lindelstam. The producer was Thompson Lister. from the spontaneity shop, thanks to Zoe, Sally, and everyone at King's Place at the London Podcast Festival, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this, another episode of well Guilty family Hey, just give me a cheer if you're hoping that Megan writes in and says, oh my God, Alex, I'd love to meet you in Brooklyn for a coffee. Yeah. See, they want the romantic ending. It's not my fault. We it's are not. wired to want the romantic ending. Have we watched too many romantic comedies? Almost certainly. Is that our fault? A little bit. Because we watched them and nobody did that Clockwork Orange thing and held our eyes open to them. But... No, we had
4: to work in the world and then we learned it was fine. yeah. yeah. I made it dark.
0: (laughs) Hi, I'm Sophie Hagen. You may know me from such things as co-hosting episode 1-29 to of The Guilty Feminist. I'm just here to let you know that I'm on tour of the UK and Denmark with my brand new stand-up show Dead Baby Frog, which is about emotional abuse. My whole tour is anxiety safe, it has gender-neutral toilets and disabled access all around. Go to sophiehagen.com to find out what I mean by that, to find out where I'll be and to get tickets. And whilst you're there, sign up for my newsletter. And why not listen to my new project, The Made of Human Podcast.
5: Bye!